It is Encounter with God Time here on The Breakfast Show. That's the 20 million Bible study. 20 million people all studying the same passage of the Bible at the same time. We are in Hebrews chapter 7. Before we go there, we have a 400-point question for our quiz. Let's see if you can get this one answered correctly. People struggling with a 300-pointer there, I see. Uh, anyone get the 300-pointer correct yet? No, producer Shelley's shaking her head. <laughs> People are really struggling. Yeah, so maybe give that uh, clue out for the 300-pointer again, and then let's have the 400-pointer. Okay, for, for the 300-pointer, it was, To whom did the word of the Lord come to and say, Do not be afraid, I am your shield, your very great reward. That was for 300 points. And... Are we are we giving people the answer now? Or no, we're letting. No, them, yeah, we're just, just, just giving just them time. Give them time. Give them, give them another them chance. Time. Okay, you have one chance. Okay, but for four hundred points, how many golden lampstands, each representing a church in Asia Minor, did John see in his vision of the revelation of Christ? If you know the answer to that one for four hundred points, you can win yourself a selection from our bargain books, or you can get those points on the board. Continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, that question was. How many golden lampstands, each representing a church in Asia Minor, did John see in his revelation of Christ? I think this one's a bit easier, to be honest. I think I think if you if you know the Book of Revelation, you you know the answer. Okay, all right. Let's see if you can figure out the answer to this one. Of course, we are about to get into our Bible study, but before we do. We have some text messages to get through. And Ooh. a quick reminder, if you'd like to send us a text message, we would love to hear from you. Um, our number is 0491 uh, Paul says, at Canberra on Saturday at a free book table we had there, met an older Christian couple who enjoy listening to Faith FM. Oh, there you so go. That's nice. Shout out. Good to hear people down there giving out books. We sent uh, I sent about 600 Bibles down there, and uh, they were all gone by lunchtime. Mm-hmm. It's always a great opportunity when you get large, and you've seen the photos of the crowds down there, they're massive. incredibly Um, big. And it's always a good opportunity when you get a large gathering of people, for whatever reason Mm. there is, to to go there and to share Jesus with them. And so many of people that I know were down there sharing Jesus with people, which is just absolutely uh, fantastic. It's also awesome that these people are from Canberra as well, because that's one of our most recent places that Faith FM has entered. We have, you know, radio yes. stations down there, finally. So Absolutely. Good work. Okay, then we have this one here. Let me see. The Sunshine Coast Schools with their magnetic pouch. This is a great idea. This should be sold to the public. Imagine going to a restaurant or party or any gathering where people talk to each other. I, you ever been to one of those? Yeah, well, I was like hanging out with people yesterday, and we all had our phones, so we all talked to each other. That's just amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing when you have one of those get-togethers where people talk to each other instead of, instead of standing, staring at a screen. But I want to say this: I, I actually I disagree with this text message wholeheartedly. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, because it's it's not like having a phone isn't just a thing of like, oh, you're anti-socialized, like you're anti-social because you're scrolling Instagram at a party. It's like. What if someone needs to call me? Like, what if someone needs to get in contact? And then there's the classic <laughs> argument that comes with, well, I lived in the 80s and there was no phone back then and everyone just was okay. But a lot of people weren't okay when they could have been okay. That's and that's why hilarious. phone exists now. That is so hilarious. No, it's not. It's not funny. It's uh, just true. It's just hilarious <laughs> is what it is. For those of us who lived in the 80s, it's hilarious. <laughs> 
anyway, the satanic temple at the end of the day, they are really congregating to a place where they actually are expressing what is already in their hearts. The devil is already residing mm. in the hearts. What they need, uh, what they need is a new heart yeah. that only God can give. Many Christians have the same problem. Mm. And then we have this one here. Good on the schools for promoting healthy habits. Mm. Good to hear. More mm. schools doing this kind of thing, the better. I need to ask Darren whether his school does something like this as well mm. because I think it's absolutely fantastic. And if it doesn't, well, he's, he's just new there. So use your honeymoon and make mm. it happen. I, mean, I actually, I think it's really interesting, just on the topic of like atheistic Satanism, which we were covering, you know, the whole temple of Satan that's open in Arizona and whatnot. I'm, I'm thinking like, are people more willing to associate with that just because they're admitting that they think it's fiction? Like, like that they think it's not Yeah, real? I think so. I think so. Absolutely. They're, yeah. they're much more willing to associate with the word Satan when they do not believe in Satan. Um, if you are someone who believes in Satan, it's pretty confronting to go, you know what, am I actually going to go over to the dark side? Is this a positive thing for my life? Yeah. But but I just find like, you know, because there's like lots of people who dedicate their lives to all kinds of like hobbies and particularly in media, right? Like yes. like people who go to conventions to, you know, they, they call it like cosplaying where you like dress up as characters and they spend hundreds of hours building costumes and they collect all of like the box sets or whatever of a particular franchise or television show or whatever it may be. And they do it on like, and, and, but it's not even real. Like it's just a, it's a piece of media yet. They've dedicated their life to it as something that they're, they're really interested in. And they reflect that as like their hobby and their personality. Like, Oh, this is a thing that I'm super into. And I'm just wondering if like, if people just say that Satan isn't real, then it's like, there's like some cool factor that then comes in where they're like, Oh yeah, we're willing to associate with Satan. Just like people associate with all different other kinds of media figures. It's just something, something turning in my brain. But as soon as you make it real, then there's like, pressure of like ah oh, if it's you know you're actually having to take a stand for something rather than just taking a stand for something you like you have to take a stand for something that because if something is real then it you know there are, you actually have to respond to its reality that's right there are there are implications that then run all throughout your existence that you have to you have to meddle with that's that's interesting. It's an interesting thought. If you guys have any thoughts on that, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Does it make it easier? Because the the flip side is like when people don't believe in Christianity, like if they don't believe God is real, that is very rare that they associate with Christianity. There's no such like from what I understand, there's really no such thing as atheistic Christianity, like in the same sense of atheistic Satanism, which is quite big. Well, I might dispute that. I might dispute that. Okay. Because the majority of theologians are atheists. Okay. And so what you have is is a kind of Buddhist kind of Christianity. Uh-huh. Where Jesus becomes a bit of a Buddha figure and Christianity becomes a a great philosophy by which to live your life. You know, it's a philosophy of dying to self. Okay, okay. yeah, we get that. And serving others and people see the positives in that. And uh, um, and and so they're like, yeah, this be, this is a great philosophy by which I live my life. But that is tough because then it makes God a liar. Like that's oh, absolutely. That's the that's the ultimate thing. Like, and, and and my question is, what's the difference between atheistic Christianity and atheistic Satanism? Ooh, I I, I don't know that there's actually a difference. I, I I'm still not convinced that atheistic. Christianity is really as widespread or as practiced as because, like with Buddhism, I think it's. I think it is. Um, I, I, I think it is 
more underground. Okay. So I think that what you've got is Christians who become disillusioned and for whatever reason, they leave their their belief in God and continue their Christian faith because it's a good way to live. Oh, that's actually, that's not very underground. That's like the whole, uh, what do they call it? The D, D something, D, um, where they, where they stop believing in God. Like they stop believing that the Bible is okay. true, but they practice faith. De, deconstructing, like deconstruction. Yep. Christian deconstruction. That, that's actually kind of what takes place. That's really interesting. And, and, and what you find is that, you know, particularly amongst theologians and so forth, but if, if, their, if their livelihood is connected to it, mm. they just continue on. <laughs> that is so true. Actually, they just continue while on. Like, you've hit the nail on the head in, right they there. Don't, they don't believe in God, but they've, you know, they've dedica- dedicated a fair chunk of their life to becoming a theologian and yeah. you know, getting their PhD and all that kind of stuff. And they just, you know, just continue on. They don't believe in God, but this is a, a positive way to live. They can see the positives of the lifestyle. Uh-huh. And they're not going to waste you know, the 10 years of education that they put into getting where they are. Uh, and so they just continue on in an underground sense. And what you find is that at some particular point, their actions actually reveal their atheism. Lyle, this is like, dude, in the, theolo- in the like theological space, that is so true. Because like a lot of people have wacky theologies. And it's like, where does that even come from? And they get a lot of, t- of attention from it. And it's like, why, why would they say something like that? That's just so untrue. And it's like, oh, well, because they need money. Like, that, that's their life is writing books about Christianity. And if they can say something really dumb that gets lots of attention, well, then they get paid. Oh, that's, that's the atheistic Christianity right there. That's heavy. Ooh. All right, so we've got a uh, text message <laughs> coming through this one, but we're going to have to wait until after this little break right now. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so this is an interesting comment. The demonic uh, church members are on a very slippery road that sooner or later Satan will visit them. Ooh. He's not going to go once in his hands. Yeah, um, and I think this is this would be interesting to see how this all all pans out because mm. I, I, I do believe that it will that, that Satan has an opportunity to actually turn you know, atheistic Christianity and atheistic Satanism into real Satanism. That That's interesting. Like They're a very vulnerable population to, very a population that's very vulnerable to yeah. the temptations of Satan. Yeah, but to him is it a viable option to go like, oh, if I... Does he need to? If I, if I show up in this person's life and then convince them that I'm actually real, like, will that make a bigger difference? But then if, if they're convinced he's real, I, maybe that gives an even bigger opportunity need- for them to come back to God. But, yeah, we do need to go to our Bible study. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it should say he is not going to let them go Ooh. once they're in his hands. Yes. Excess. Okay, so uh, let's get to our Bible study. We were talking about, okay, so we're in, we're in uh, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter yes. 7 is all about Abraham and Melchizedek mm-hmm. and tithe uh-huh. and the connection between those three things. And so we went back to look at the beginning of the story yesterday to find out, okay, what is this all about? It begins with Abraham and Lot. They have very large families. The, the, the land around them is too small for them. You know, you've got, uh, you know, possibly 3,000 people as a part of their families. Mm. And you get 3,000 um, uh, basically Bedouin, I guess you would say, uh, uh, living in one place at yes. one time. You know, this is, this is larger. Their camp would have been larger 
than a lot of cities in those days. Yeah, they they had the population of Mullumbimby just traveling around in in the intense, uh, intense. Yeah, yeah. That's for nomadic people. That's a very large group, and so they needed yeah. to divide it. They needed uh-huh. to split it. Um, it had to happen, and so they do divide it. They do split it, and of course, we find that Lot. Uh, Abraham, you know, as the as the, as the priest and as the uh, leader, he gives the choice to Lot. He's like, you can take the mountains, you can take the valley, whichever mm. you want. It's your choice. Lot takes the valley because it's rich and it's fertile and it's wealthy, mm. and it has amazing cities there that are reminiscent of Ur. Mm. You know, Ur was a was a metropolis. Ur was incredibly advanced. I mean, Ur had a you know a full blown city sewage system running mm. underneath of it. Wow! You know, this was this was one of the most advanced cities in the ancient world. It was an incredibly wealthy city. It was it was dripping with gold and so forth. Mm. And uh, so you know, this was Ur. But with um, with, with you know, they've moved from Ur, which is kind of like you know, to Palestine, which is kind of like moving from a developed country to an undeveloped country. Mm-hmm. But within that undeveloped country, there are a couple of cities that are reminiscent of the developed country, mm. and a lot of undeveloped countries are like that. You know, you can go to some, you know, we went to Ethiopia. There's some some <laughs> suburbs in uh, in 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 Addis Ababa and some you know buildings and institutions that look quite mod, quite developed. Yeah, that's right. And you could live in those kind of areas. And he's kind of looked around and gone, yeah, you know, I'm going to go where the air conditioning is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the creature comforts. The creature comforts. They're all down in the valley. Yeah. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah. So he moves down there and it does not go well for him. So he's living down there, eventually moves into Sodom. And, of course, this particular part of the world at this time is part of the Elamite Empire. And so the Elamites are like the ancient, let's say, Americans. Okay. They're, like They're the world superpower. Superpower. Okay. Yeah. They're the world superpower. They are very interested in um, colonizing the the world, well, conquering and ruling the world, mm. and, and extending their hegemony over you know various tribes and peoples and so forth, and raising taxes from them. And the valley that Lot has moved into, it belongs to the Elamites. The Elamites hadn't really taken the mountains. Mm. It wasn't really any point. It would be hard work. You, you're working in, in in rocky mountains, powerful fortresses, and very little wealth. Mm. Why bother? Mm. And so they now, of course, the Elamites. If you sort of wrap your head around the size of their empire, they come from the north side of the Persian Gulf. Okay. So you think about that. That's a they're kind of ruling pretty much the Fertile Crescent. Okay. Yeah. And everything in it, and probably a bunch more. So this is a an empire that rivals the Babylonian Empire, that rivals you know the Assyrian Empire, um, the Egyptian Empire. That's it, it predates those empires, but it's up there. Mm. And it's big and it's powerful. Okay, let's go to chapter 14 and verse 1, please, Lawson. About this time, war broke out in the region. King Arapamaphel from Babylonia, King Arioch from uh, Alassar, um, King... Oh, yikes. Uh, Ketoliamur from Elam, that, that's who we were talking about just now, King Tidal of Goim fought against King Bera of Sodom, King Bersha of Gomorrah, King Shinab of Admar, King Sherebur from Zeboim, and King Bela 
also called Zoar. I love giving these verses. Wow, to that was awesome. That was like, I'm like, just the stitch up moment. But yep. yeah, okay. So we've got a bunch of kings fighting a bunch of other kings, essentially. That's right. So basically, what you've got is you've got four kings mm-hmm. who are fighting five. Okay. And the five kings come from the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. And you would assume that five kings would conquer four. Except that you would be assuming wrong because the Elamite Empire is a superpower and basically Chedaloma, who is the king of the Elamite Empire, has come down with his allies. Yeah, and it's it's also Elam, it's also Babylonia, like yes. another yes. powerful yes. Like, these are, these group. These are massive, like... massive regions of the world who are mm. coming up against cities. Yeah, that's right. And what's interesting is that when the Elamites invade with their allies, their invasion is... Um, well, it's, I'm just going to read here. Uh, these joined together in the Vale of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea, and uh, 12 years they served Chedorlaomer, and the 13th year they rebelled. So for 12 years, the Bible says that all of those uh, cities in the uh, Jordan Valley, they served the Elamites, and then in the 13th year they just didn't pay their taxes. Mm. They're like, um, no. And in the 14th year, in verse 5, the Bible says, Chedorlaomer came and the kings that were with him, and smote the Rephaim in Ashtoreth, and the Karnaim, and the Zuzim in Ham, and the Emon in shabbath Kurathain, and the Horites in their Mount Seir, and El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to Enmishfat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Malachites and the Amorites that dwelt in Hazazon Tamar, and then went out the, king of, the kings of Sodom and so forth to fight against them. Mm-hmm. So I'm just showing off there. <laughs> I've read these verses probably a few more times than what uh, Lawson Okay, has. I've read these verses a lot, but, like, speaking them out loud is, like, something else, you know. It's pretty wild stuff. Okay, but basically what you've got here is a list of 14 different nations wow. that are conquered during this particular invasion. So so, so the Elamites are coming back. Chedorlaomer mm. is coming back, and he's going to take back the lands that he lost when they rebelled against him. Mm-hmm. They're, they're on the outskirts. You know, this is the frontier yes. of the Elamite Empire. Yeah, wow. And so they're kind of like, yeah, we've been t- paying taxes here for 12 years. I wonder whether he would notice if we didn't pay tax this year. Mm. And he notices. <laughs> and so he, and, and he raises an army. It takes him 12 months to raise an army. But when mm. he raises an army, this is no small, you know, war party. Yeah, that's right. Because... He's like, okay, we're going to go down there to the the, the, the uh, Jordan Valley, which is our frontier, and we're going to make it not our frontier. Mm. We're going to extend, you know, right down into Moab. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we're going to take a whole bunch of, we're going to extend our frontier mm. so that these are actually, you know, kind of in the middle of our empire. Well, not in the middle, but, yeah. um, you know. Right inside of empire, and so they actually come to the Jordan Valley last. Mm. So they take all of these other nations, all of these other territories, all of these other cities, and they've come from the north. They've bypassed the Jordan Valley, mm-hmm. gone way down into Moab, down into modern day Jordan. They've gone as far as the uh, Sinai Desert. Mm-hmm. And now, having conquered all of those nations, now they turn north and come up the Jordan Valley. So they're actually taking out uh, the Jordan Valley on their way home. Mm. And the five kings of the Jordan Valley, they get together 
and they're going to fight the Elamites. Well, that's not going to go well for them because it's a little bit like New Zealand saying, yeah, we'll take on the United States. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, well. The United States will say, will be like, will we take that, uh, that country on Tuesday or Wednesday? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's kind of how it's going to happen. Um, no, no criticism to our friends across the ditch. If it was Australia, they would say, yeah, we'll take it on Tuesday and Wednesday. (laughs) That's about the only difference between the two. Yes. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. As The Breakfast Show continues, as our Bible study continues, as we continue looking at this fascinating story, Lawson, what's our next uh, 500-point Question right there. So for 500 points, the terrifying and frightening fourth beast of Daniel 7 had teeth made out of what? This is just easy. Oh, okay. It got got easier, you reckon? The 300.1 was the hard one. That was actually pretty tough. Anyone get the 300 point yet? One person. Good for them. Congratulations. Who are we congratulating? Uh, Janelle. Janelle. Oh, oh well done, Janelle. Janelle, absolute gun. But yeah. No, I'm not going to tell our listeners this, but I didn't get it. <laughs> I was going to tell them anyway. <laughs> I took three guesses and I still didn't get it. Yeah. And then he just started saying around. He's like, oh, maybe it's this person and maybe it's that person. And yeah, it was pretty funny to watch. Obviously, I knew the answer, like straight away yeah oh, that's because i can see the answers <laughs> but again that question was the terrifying and frightening fourth beast of daniel 7 had teeth made out of what if you know the answer 0491064669 is the number to call indeed it was okay so let's go back to our story and got a few people here running ahead of the story a little bit mm-hmm. they haven't got up to the destruction by fire yet oh okay this is the destruction by the elamites yeah Destruction by fire is actually not a part of um, the story about uh, from from Hebrews seven. But anyway, mm. it says Lot would have had uh, himself about close to two thousand plus servants. Um, they all ended up in Sodom, but were all lost when the fire came down from heaven. Mm. Lot was responsible for their deaths. Very tragic. Abraham uh, servants were saved due to his faithfulness. With knowledge comes responsibility. And Lot's selfishness and pride was the cause. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna look into that. Um, in a little bit more detail, maybe even in question of the day today, because we've got a good question coming through in uh, in relationship to the story of Lot mm. and uh, his time in Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. But Lot gets a major wake-up call here when the Elamites turn up because the Sodomites are defeated. Yeah. The entire Jordan Valley is defeated. And the, you know, surprise, surprise. <laughs> you're going up against the Elamites. You're not going to win that battle. Mm-hmm. And what is interesting that Lot and his family are taken captive. And so what you've got to understand about ancient battles is this. Today when we talk about invading, we like to justify it. Mm. And there's always got to be justification for it. And, uh, you know... It, should we invade Iraq? Do they have weapons of mass destruction or not? Do we need to invade Iraq? You know, um, do we need to invade Afghanistan? Do we need to invade Syria? Whatever it might be, the, the, the list just goes on and on and on. And, and we've always got to, you know, okay, is it going to make the world a better place or a worse place? And, you know, is there a justification for spending this time and means and money in invading these countries? Mm. And the reason that that exists in our world today is because of the influence that Christianity has had on the world. Wow. 
You go back 500 years, those reasons were not required because Christianity hadn't yet had the impact that it has today. Mm. You go back to the time of Lot, the reason for invading was just pure and simple. Right of conquest. You have stuff, we want it, we will invade. (laughs) Yeah. That's the only justification that was ever needed in those days to invade. And so like, yeah, we want your stuff. So they went down there and the most valuable stuff that you could take at that time was not actually golden, you know, precious stones and those kind of things. It was people. It was people, yeah. And, you know, thousands of slaves that would be sold all over the world. And we often look at, you know, um, slavery in, in, in modern times is either going to be um, sexual slavery which is the predominant slavery we have right now, mm. or we look at uh, African slavery, which was you know, slavery in the 1800s. Mm. What we forget is that the vast majority of slaves came from every nation, kindred, type, tribe, tongue and people. Africa has mm. no monopoly on this um, in any way, shape or form, and in the past anyone was enslaved who could be captured. That's right. It was actually in, informed more by socioeconomic status more than anything else because yes. you didn't have the ability to defend yourself if you're That's poor right. and then you just get yep. slaved. That's how it happened. Mm. Um, and so Lot and his family are taken slaves. Mm. They would have been taking a very, very large amount of slaves because that's the primary reason why they have invaded. They're going to keep some of those slaves to themselves. They're going to sell uh, slaves all over the world, uh, wherever they can sell them, and it's going to be, you know, they're far more valuable than cattle. They're far more valuable than gold. Mm-hmm. Um, this, is, this is the most <laughs> valuable resource that they've been able to capture. And having taken the Jordan Valley... The Elamites now get ready to head home. Mm. It's a long way. They have a lot of prize that they have to take with them. Mm. And so there's going to be a considerable amount of effort to go home with all of that. And uh, at the same time, it's now time that they can relax a little bit. You know, any soldier who's going out on a military campaign has that nagging feeling in the back of his mind, what if I die? Mm. And now all of those soldiers have that experience of, I've survived. Mm. I haven't died. I'm still alive and I'm going home with all this stuff. Mm. I'm now incredibly wealthy. And so this is the experience of the Elamites. Uh, The Bible says... Verse 13, chapter 14, verse 13, please, Lord. But one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abraham the Hebrew, who was living near the oak grove belonging to Mamre the Amorite. Uh, Mamre and his relative Eshkol and Anya uh, were Abram's allies. Okay, when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. So this is interesting. Because this, that verse right there is absolutely critical to our understanding of Hebrews chapter 7. Mm. So what does Abraham do? How does he respond? He hears that his nephew's captured. Yes. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to take 318 trained men. Yes. Um, and I'm going to go and, and fight Ketelamar. Yep. And, yeah, take on, the, take on the whole empire and all their allies with 300 dudes. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. <laughs> All right. The Bible says in verse 15, he divided himself against them. He took his servants by night mm. and smote them and pursued them unto Hobar, which is on the left hand of Damascus. Now, this is fascinating, what you've got, this, this whole story right here, because you would think, how would it be possible? What kind of a person goes up against the Elamites with 318 men? 
Mm. This is a man of tremendous faith, but not just tremendous faith, a tremendous amount of skill and a, a genius tactician. Mm. Ancient battles were never fought at night. Yeah. And the reason they were never fought at night was that it was hard enough during the day to be able to tell friend from foe on the battlefield mm. because they didn't have uniform uniforms. Mm. And so it's like a lot of the time you would actually lose track of who the enemy was and it would just be like, well, you know, kill everybody. <laughs> Stab anyone near me with a weapon, you know. And so you would never, ever fight at night. When the sun went down, the fighting ended in, on ancient battlefields and the reason was it was impossible to identify. Mm. But Abraham is able to fight at night. And the reason he's able to fight at night is because he's only got 318 men. Yeah, they all know each other as they well. They all know each other, but they can also divide up. Mm. And they can go into the camp where they're by themselves. Everybody's an enemy, so just kill everyone. Mm. And what happens in an ancient battlefield when they're attacked at night in their tents while they're sleeping, while they're relaxed, while they're like, yeah, we survived this campaign, we're in good shape, what happens is you come out of the tent and people are just being killed all around you. You only have shadows that you can fight. Mm. And so every shadow is an enemy and they start fighting themselves. That's what always happened. Mm. And so you turn the army against itself. It's a brilliant tactics for a small war party against a massive army. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Mm. All right, we're going to have some answers for our quiz questions, followed by the question of the day. All so right. what are our answers? 100 points, Job, 200 points, Peter, 300 points, and this is the one that people really got hung up on. Abraham, for 400 points, the answer was 7, and for 500 points, the answer was iron. And if you guys got those correct, congratulations. Good work. Fantastic work. Uh, but right now it is oh, time. Oh, oh, oh. Bonus points if you can figure out what today's theme was in the pentathlon. Oh. There's I a theme between all those questions. Oh, I don't think I know what the theme is. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll find it. I have to think about it. I'll have to figure it out. But anyway, right now it is time for... Question of the Day. All right, our question of the day is this. I And this is actually relating to, you know, some of the characters we're discussing in our Bible study. Um, I've always had a hard time understanding as to why Lot offers his two daughters to the men uh, wanting his visitors. Why does he do that? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, for those unfamiliar with the story, basically what happens is that uh, two angels turn up uh, to visit with... Uh, to, to, to basically tell Lot to get out of Sodom because the city is about to be destroyed. Um, he he, he uh, finds them in the marketplace. They're going to sleep in the marketplace. They're like, no, nah, this is a dangerous place. You need to sleep at my house. Takes them in as guests. And the men of the city turn up and like, no, nah, we want to have sex with these two guys. So send them out to us. And it's a pretty full-on story. And uh, the Bible says that he goes out to them and is like, don't do this. This is a terrible idea. They're guests in my home, you know, etc. Um, and offers his two daughters. You can have my two daughters and have your way with them, which is a really horrific story. You can only imagine. And he's basically like, yeah, I've got two, two, two daughters here. You can take those two daughters and rape them instead. And so the question is, why does Lot do this? And, yeah, just, just what's going on here? So there are a number of different things going on. 
Uh, first of all, and this is where where the where it really gets sticky. The Bible says in Second Peter chapter two and verse seven that God delivered just Lot. And when it's talking about just Lot, it's talking about Lot who was righteous, righteous Lot who was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. And so how does the Bible describe somebody who would do such a thing as being righteous? Okay, well, you've got to also remember that the Bible describes David as being righteous, who committed a murder, a rape, and adultery, and the Bible describes David as being righteous. The Bible describes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as being righteous, and you can look at the long list of sins that they all had recorded against them. And so righteousness does not mean that you have never sinned. It does not mean that you have never committed awful, terrible, horrific sins. And what Lot does here in this particular circumstance is awful, terrible, and horrific. Um, Righteousness means that you have received the grace of God and you have been forgiven. You have confessed those sins. You've made them right with God. And you have been forgiven of those sins. And of course we find, you know, the record of of David's confession and forgiveness in Psalms chapter 51. And so that's what righteous so we need to understand that that's what's righteous. And so this is not a righteous person doing a righteous thing when Lot offers his two daughters to the men of Sodom. No, this is somebody who knows better than that committing a sin. All right. Okay, so now that we've established that, we ask ourselves the question, why would Lot do that? What kind of father would do that? And to understand that and to maybe start to wrap our minds around it and we can't really, we we don't know all of the reasons why Lot would do such a thing, Uh, but it does seem that Lot has been deeply affected by the evil culture that was surrounding him. Now, Now, all of that old culture was evil, some of it was good, But there are two aspects of culture that would come into a decision like this. The first aspect is the devaluation of women. That's evil. And so women in that particular society that he was associating in in Sodom were very, very, very much devalued. The second thing that comes into it, which is actually a good part of culture, is the concept of hospitality. And in the Middle East to this day, when when you become a guest of somebody in the Middle East, they are duty-bound to defend you as their guest with their life and with the life of their family. Put those two things together, you start to get a little bit of an insight into why Lot may have done what he did, which was a terribly wrong thing. Now, as you go through your day, don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. God be with you till we meet again. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.